into the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Mann. Happy Solo Shot Saturday, everyone. This has been a pretty fun rounding out to November. Uh, before I get into the show, I just want to let everyone who is interested at the uh, end of the show last week about giving to the East Aiden Food Pantry, ETV was able to help the food pantry raise over $2,000 during the live telethon on Monday. So thank you to any of you who tuned in from this, especially those who were gracious enough to donate. We crushed our goal and it felt really good to uh, put out great content with a uh, really great meaning behind it. And the baseball off season's really starting to get into full swing as we round out November. I hope you all had an amazing Thanksgiving holiday with your friends, family, loved ones, and are mindful of what you're thankful for. I'm thankful for all of you, whether you're visiting me for the first time and those that have been with me every single week. It truly means a lot that you want to hear what I'm talking about. And this managerial search kind of went on longer than I was expecting, especially with Yamamoto just getting posted. Uh, but we finally have the skip search being over. The managerial chairs are now set. And it's really fun because both of these teams hired from within after their manager left elsewhere, one that was poached in Milwaukee and the other one where the Padres were like, you can have them. So, Pat Murphy is taking over as the Milwaukee Brewers skipper. He spent the last eight seasons as Craig Council's bench coach. And the Brewers did this for two reasons. Not only does Pat Murphy know the organization, have the trust of the organization and the players on this roster, but Pat Murphy was also very likely to leave Milwaukee for Chicago to join Craig Council. So they would have gotten poached of the two biggest voices in that dugout. So that would have been brutal for Milwaukee. So they ended up paying the man to be their new skipper. So congratulations to Pat Murphy, a guy who I think will get the most out of a team that never spends at the top of the market, but is always trying to be in it at the very end of the season. But the more interesting hire to me was the Padres hiring Mike Schilt, who spent the last two seasons as a senior executive for the Padres, he steps into the role at 55 years old, former Cardinals manager. So this is a guy that has managerial experience in the big leagues, has some success under his record, and is a guy who was brought in as a senior assistant and is now being handed the keys to a team that severely underperformed expectations last season, uh, missing the playoffs with one of the top payrolls in all of baseball. There's talks of them trading. Juan Soto this offseason, Blake Snell is almost assuredly gone in free agency, and there's even been talks of trading a contract like a Fernando Tatis that is movable, unlike the Machado and Bogarts contracts that you just physically can't move right now. So Mike Schilt getting another chance to manage in the big leagues, I think that's going to be really fun to watch. I expect the Padres to bounce back next year, uh, maybe not into a playoff spot, but looking better than they did for the vast majority of the 2023 season. So now all the managerial seats are filled. We don't have to worry about that going forward. There will be some changes. I mean, I talked about Andrew Bailey. It wasn't official, but he's now officially the Red Sox pitching coach. There's going to be first base, third base, bench coach, pitching coaches, hitting coaches, uh, people that get brought on as 
assistant executives um, throughout the rest of this process. But the main players, the guys who are going to be calling the shots in the dugouts are all set. And that's a really big deal because free agency is really starting to get moving. And as we get to first base, Shohei Otani is still the talk of the town. Now, I'm wearing the Chicago Cubs shirt today because the Cubs are been reported this entire time as having strong intentions to go after Shohei Otani. They have Seiya Suzuki on the roster. Both Yamamoto's camp and Shohei Otani's camp probably see that as a plus. But there's been a report that the Los Angeles Dodgers are not just willing to go after Shohei Otani, which I've been saying since the beginning of this past season that they are the overwhelming favorite to sign him, but also are willing to give up the farm and go and get Mike Trout. So they want to go bring the two Los Angeles stars down to the Dodgers at pretty much all costs, apparently. And I think that this is just insane to hear a report of. I know we're all sitting around waiting for real news to talk about, and there is great hirings like these managerial spots as well as these smaller signings that have went on and one big contract that I'll get to just in a second. But Shohei Otani is going to cost a lot. And I saw an amazing video uh, by the Baseball Doesn't Exist channel on YouTube showing off how much Shohei Otani can generate cash for your organization. So I'm not saying that he won't be worth whatever contract he signs. I think he'll be worth it and then some. But from a team-building perspective, the Angels were a clear example of this. What is the limit of 30-plus AV players that you can have on a roster at a time and still build a perennial contending team? And I think three is the max. Right now, they have Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts' big contracts on the books. You bring in Trout and Otani, selling a lot of the farm to get Trout over. It's, even for the Dodgers, who are a class act organization, really well run, that's going to be a big ask for them. So, seeing these reports that they're also interested in bringing Trout over with Otani, that's great, and if the Dodgers miss out on Shohei Otani, maybe they will go and trade for Mike Trout. But getting both of them, the Angels had both of them for the last five years. Didn't sniff the playoffs once. They had to sell the farm to get mediocre pieces to surround them. And this is a team that's going to take multiple years to rebuild now, whether Mike Trout's a part of it or not. So. That report, as crazy as everyone on X was going about it, I just don't think that any team can get both realistically. Would it be awesome? Would it be a video game moment to see both of those guys traded to a winning team? Absolutely. I would love to watch it. But if you have four 30-plus million-dollar players on your roster, it's so hard, even if you don't care about the luxury tax, to just build up the rest of the roster. I think that 
the Angels case study will be looked at this for a long time. They had the best player of three straight generations. Albert Pujols, the 2000s, Mike Trout, the 2010s, Shohei Otani, the 2020s. The best players of a decade, three straight decades. And they couldn't make the playoffs consecutively. It takes more than stars to win in baseball. You saw it with the Texas Rangers. Yes, their big stars, Simeon and Seager, did a great job. Nathan Navaldi, they're paying as a pitcher. But Evan Carter and Josh Young, if you trade those guys for a Mike Trout, you don't have those flexible, controlled pieces. Jonah Heim had a big time season. Nathaniel Lowe. These are the kind of guys that you sacrifice. You're not going to be able to keep them if you have four plus million dollars players. So as we continue to watch the Shohei sweepstakes, just keep that in mind. That some of these teams, realistically, as much as Shohei would bring money to them, would make their team better. There's only so many teams that can afford to get him. So before we start talking about pipe dreams of Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in a Dodgers uniform, let's just start looking at these teams that don't have two guys already in place making big money. And then if you want to talk about that pipe dream, I'll be right there listening to you. So it'll be really interesting to watch the Shohei sweepstakes. I'm going to have it as the first base topic until he signs uh, because we are truly blessed to be in the period of Shohei Otani, getting to watch him play. And I don't think there's ever been a free agent with as much to win as Shohei Otani. There's been guys that came up really young and hit free agency at a young age. There's been guys who were entering their absolute prime when they hit the market, but nobody's going to change a baseball team's makeup, a baseball team's worth, a baseball team's popularity as much as Shohei Otani signing with your team is going to do. So he continues to be number one priority throughout the entire offseason. Even if your team's not in on the Shohei of sweepstakes, if you're a Royals fan or Athletics fan out there coming off a really bad season, you know your team's not going to have any chance of spending and signing him. You're still really excited to see where he's going to go because he is just so... Dang fun to watch. I talked about the pitching market being a real big deal this offseason. I think it's much better than the hitters market. And I think that baseball has realized that. Uh, Not just from all the star pitchers that got hurt during the 2023 season that likely won't pitch in 2024. That includes Shohei Otani. But the pitching market's already starting to get picked over. The St. Louis Cardinals went out there and made deals to get Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn, guys who aren't going to break the bank. They're not going to have Cy Young seasons, but guys that can hopefully give them quality innings. And I think that getting those low-hanging fruits out of the way, guys that you trust, Lance Lynn's been in the building before, that's good. But they also need a true top-of-the-line starter. Now, is that going to be through a trade? Are they going to go after one of the big fish, like a Snell? 
That's yet to be seen. But I like seeing the Cardinals already starting to pick at the free agent pitcher market. But the biggest blow, and one that I was not expecting to get done this soon, was the Phillies extending Aaron Nola. Seven years, $172 million. That's just over $24.5 million a year for their young stud. And Aaron Nola has been pitching for this organization since 2015. He's been there, and though Aaron Nola hasn't won a Cy Young or just straight-up dominated, he's an innings eater. This is a guy where if you look at his last seasons, he's pushing for 200 innings almost every year. 193 in 2023, 205 in 2022, 180 in 2021, 202 in 2019, 212 in 2018. The last seven or so seasons, he's been an innings eater, an actual workhorse. And while he's not absolutely dominating, he has great stuff. He has flashes of greatness. And he's a guy that you want in your locker room. So I'm a little upset. Talking about the market, I wasn't expecting any big contracts to be signed in November. I was expecting December to be when things start really get moving with the big fish into January. But Aaron Nola wanted to stay home. And they paid him fairly. They actually paid him slightly more than Zach Wheeler, who is the better pitcher but isn't homegrown. And I feel like with how close the Philadelphia Phillies have been these past couple seasons, you can't just let your number two starter walk out the door. And they saw that. They have the Wheeler-Nola top of the pitching rotation for the next couple of years. And they're hoping that one of those years will result in a World Series championship. Now, what this does for the pitcher's market, Aaron Nola actually got paid pretty dang well for what I thought he was going to get. Um, it's going to be interesting going forward because he's a guy that I think was in that next tier. I think when you look at pitchers, he's in that Jordan Montgomery, Aaron Nola tier and Blake Snell and Shohei Otani are the top of the line guys. With Nola getting 172, I'm expecting Blake Snell's contract to push 200 million. Now he's going to be somewhere in the 180 to 200 range. And that's a little scary because unlike Aaron Nola, Blake Snell is not an innings eater. He does have the true peak and dominance that Nola hasn't consistently shown, uh, being one of seven pitchers to win the Cy Young in both leagues and win ERA titles and just flat-out dominate two times through the lineup. But the rest of the pitching market, there's been so many injuries. Aaron Nola was someone that was looked at as a guy who could step in and be a one, two, or three in somebody's rotation, give them 180 plus innings of quality starts. And that's going to be as valuable as it ever has been. With this next season, we saw from the pitch clock, there were a lot of injuries to front of the line starters, guys who were supposed to be right up there. We saw some fall off 
from these Hall of Fame legends that are getting up there in age, Verlander, Scherzer, Kershaw even. So what pitching is going to look like in 2024 is really interesting. And Aaron Nola's name being off the board this early, it makes the game a little bit less fun. I was expecting my Boston Red Sox to make a serious play on Aaron Nola. Now everyone's saying it's Yamamoto or bust. To me, this signing just seems that Jordan Montgomery will be viewed as a much higher priority option by teams that need pitching. He's a guy that can give you some quality innings, showed that he does not take that step back in the big moments, helping Texas win a ring. And I think Jordan Montgomery went from signing like a hundred-ish million dollar deal to probably getting somewhere in the 120 to 150 range with what Aaron Nola just got. A little bit less of a track record, but he's a lefty. And he is a very similar pitcher results-wise to Aaron Nola. Here at the Solo Shot Sports Podcast, we have to throw back down the third baseline to this day in baseball history and make a connection, whether it's an amazing moment and an amazing play, an amazing starter end to a great career, and highlight that player and event and keep this rich history of the sport alive. There was a lot of great moments from November 25th in baseball history, but to me, there was one that was just absolutely topical, and it was on this date in 1969, Lou Pinella of the Kansas City Royals wins the American League Rookie of the Year Award. Now, for those of my friends out there that collect baseball cards, Lou Pinella has a 1964 rookie card, has a 1968 rookie card, a 1969 rookie card, and a 1970 rookie card. He was a fine player during his playing days. 12 career war, over 100 home runs, and this rookie of the year season for the Royals. Now, he was originally in the Senators organization. He ended up being part of the expansion draft in 1968 to the Seattle Pilots, and then was later brought over to Kansas City in a trade. So the Pilots traded to the other expansion team, Kansas City Royals. Lou Pinella, on opening day in 1969, hit a double, which was not only his first major league hit, but was the first major league hit by a Kansas City Royal. He also scored the first run. And he started that season with four hits in a row. So he was already off to a hot start. Pinella had a nice season. There wasn't a strong rookie class in the American League that year, and Pinella ended up taking home the Rookie of the Year award. And he actually credited Hall of Famer, who was his manager, Joe Gordon, for helping him become a better hitter and more selective. He batted 282 that season, which was above his career average. And he won the Rookie of the Year award playing for the expansion team in its inaugural season. He was the first player to ever do that. This is not just topical because of the expansion that I touched on a couple weeks ago that is likely coming from Major League Baseball. But this is topical because Lou Pinella 
is on the Hall of Fame ballot. And no, it's not for his 12 war and 100 career home runs. 102 to be exact. It's for his managerial records. Now, Lou Pinella just turned 80 this past August. He had an 1,835 and 1,713 record. So just under 52% winning percentage. He won three Manager of the Year awards, managed over 3,500 games, and was part of the 1990 Cincinnati Reds World Series Championship as their manager. Not to mention the two World Series that he won as a player. All that being said, Lou Pinella fell one vote shy of election last time his name was on the ballot. With Lou Pinella's age, with the shift in the era committee where it used to be split up, now there's an era committee just for contemporary managers, executives, because they know there's a lot of these guys getting up there in age, both active and retired. And he is the most likely candidate from this committee to get in the Hall of Fame this year. Jim Leland's on the ballot, a guy who has a very similar managerial record with one World Series and three managers of the years, about 1,700 wins. You also have Joe West. Umpires are super fun to talk about for the Hall of Fame, but Joe West, one of baseball's most memorable umpires, but Lou Pinella is the clear number one name on the list. Could one of those two guys get in there with him? Also, Bill White, who was a pretty good player for the St. Louis Cardinals back in the day and was the first African-American president of baseball. He also has a strong case. But Lou Pinella is the only, I'd say, lock for this year's era committee. That'll be voted on next month. And him winning that rookie of the year in 1969. It wasn't just cool because two teams gave him shots, but not everyday shots. And then the third time his official rookie season, he ends up winning rookie of the year, having the first hit and run scored by a Kansas city Royal, which is now a franchise that's been around for a long time. But that rookie of the year, the 102 career home runs. The fact that he was part of two World Series winners as a player as well as the one that he managed in 1990. The Hall of Fame has changed the way voters are supposed to look at these candidates. While Lou Pinella will be inducted as a manager, because that is the bulk of his career achievements, you are asked to look at the player's full baseball resume. This is a big part of the reason why Buck O'Neill finally got into the Hall of Fame. Everyone was wondering why Buck O'Neill was not in the Hall of Fame. And Buck O'Neill just didn't have good stats as a player. And it was hard to quantify his value added as a scout, as a consultant, as a coach. Because he didn't have the managerial records. But once you looked at everything that he did as a whole, all the lives and baseball moments that he impacted. It put him over the hump. And I think that's why Don Mattingly did so well last year on the Air Committee ballot. 
way more votes than most people were expecting because when you include his thousand career managerial wins, including a manager of the year on top of his borderline playing days case, it's a lot stronger than just looking at his borderline playing days case. And Lou Pinella, he didn't reach the 2000 win club, but 1800 is damn close. Having a rookie of the year as a player really helps. If Joe Torre was a borderline manager, I'm sure that his 1971 MVP would help him get over the line as well. But Lou Pinella, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And before everyone starts talking about him when he actually gets elected, I thought it was very fitting since his Rookie of the Year award was named on this date in 1969 that I would give you all kind of a nice rundown on Lou Pinella's baseball life. 80 years old. It's about time he gets into the Hall of Fame. A guy who, regardless of how his playing and managerial career did, is a name that a lot of baseball fans remember. And there's good reason for that. He was a baseball lifer in a lot of ways. And a guy who is very worthy of induction. I can't wait to see him get in there. As we round out the show, I'm expecting December to be a December to remember. And it's not just because of Shohei Otani's impending free agency, Yamamoto being posted and likely to sign sometime in December, all the other trades and different things that can happen at the winter meetings, the Hall of Fame adding new members, both through the official ballot that just got released. Um, But it's going to be a lot of fun for this show. And I know I've been talking about a lot of ideas and things that I have coming for the show from the new curtains in the studio to the new cyber Monday and black Friday deals that I will have for extra set pieces and the graphics that I've been working on behind the scenes. You will see an all new updated show next week in December first show of December. And I'm really excited to share it all with you guys continue to level up and improve the show. And we're going to have so many great baseball topics to talk about with that first show being, I know a lot of you were probably expecting me to have my 2024 BBWAA hall of fame ballot on this episode. You're going to have to wait one more week to find out who I'd vote for. I'm going to do a whole in-depth breakdown of the ballot. It's going to take up a good chunk of the show next week, but I'm really excited to put it together for you guys. Kind of give you more of a sense of how I view the Hall of Fame voting and who I would check off and who I wouldn't for various reasons. But until next week, I appreciate each and every one of you who spent part of your Saturday with me. Those of you that were in the chat, much appreciated. On this later start today, holiday weekend, I've been slowed down a little bit. But I hope you guys have a great week of enjoying baseball weathering the calm before the storm and get ready for December to remember. Catch you guys in the next one. Peace.